with Lauren Savon. It is Midday Live. Our number is 800-222-5222. Lauren Savon, Dr. Drew. In just a moment, we're going to speak to Basil Smeichel, a... Democratic strategist regarding the Pelosi uh, appointment. Also, we're going to talk to Horace Cooper, a senior fellow at the National Center for Public Policy, regarding the uh, billionaire couple pushing extreme bail reform. The back mm. to the bail reform talk should be interesting. Uh, right now, though, let's go to our friend Basil Smeichel. Basil, welcome to the program. Oh, thank you. Always, always a pleasure to join you. So before we get into the Pelosi story, just a quick question we have. We've been covering this organization called... Pueblo Sin Fronteras. Exactly. Who are funding the, the caravan up through Mexico and uh, bringing them on buses and trains and giving them food and hospitals and water and all these things. And one of the things we noticed uh, is that some of the stories getting clearer what's going on. We're hearing less from the Democratic Party about abolishing ICE. Are That's we- right. Before the midterm elections, that was kind of a, a litmus test they were using to find out how uh, progressive – they were. You had um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez promising, you know, we should abandon ICE. You had uh, Kristen Gillibrand jumping on that bandwagon as well as Mayor Bill de Blasio. And now you don't hear a, hear a word from the Democratic Party about abolishing ICE. Yeah, I never thought that it would be a popular uh, uh, mantra among um, establishment Democrats. I think it was a good, uh, scratch good. I think it was a, it was a, it was a convenient, I, I think, uh, campaign sort of policy that a lot of people were pushing, as you said, including Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. But I, I think some cooler heads prevailed because, you know, th- th- I think the right tone was we don't like a lot of what ICE is doing under this particular president, but that doesn't mean we should get rid of it altogether. So I'm not surprised that you've seen some of that um, uh, recede, particularly after a lot of the people who were talking about it have won their elections. But, but so, why why aren't they talking about more level-headed immigration reform? I mean, to, it's like saying, let's fire all the cops because they're, you know, arresting the wrong people instead of who's putting out the orders. I, I mean, it just seems so backwards to me. Well, well, I think the point that you the point that you made earlier about a litmus test is is right in the sense that one of the challenges and the barriers to having a very good, sensible immigration uh, conversations around immigration reform is that it's often used as a litmus test. And the truth is, is particularly in the Trump environment, you know, there really isn't a lot of middle middle ground for our dialogue. You have to take a stand. You're either on one side or another. And I don't know when that when that uh, gets alleviated, quite frankly. We used to have conversations about this. Remember the so-called Gang of Eight that was trying to put this, uh, uh, move this front and center years ago, um, but we really haven't seen a return to it. My guess is that with this younger, more diverse Congress, uh, particularly in the House, that we'll see this come up again. Uh, but, you know, we don't, we don't have the Senate, so maybe it gets stalled there. But I do think that there is a need for a better conversation around immigration reform. So, so I, I think I'm hearing you're saying, and it's actually not a you know, unjustified argument, which is so much empty shibboleth comes at you, you're responding with the, with the in-kind, with empty slogans yeah, that are extreme, yeah. but they really aren't meant to be policy, uh, initiate policy. Yeah, I don't listen. I I would love to see you know. So my, I'm a I'm a child of Jamaican immigrants, so a lot of these conversations I take very personally, and so I would love to see 
particularly with with Chuck Schumer from my home state in New York as as minority leader, I would love to see us really push through some very good sound immigration reform and not and you look even President Obama was seen as the uh, uh, the deporter in chief because there are a lot of immigrant groups that actually felt he was too tough in in that regard but I do think there's a path forward, and truthfully, if you look at this just from a partisan standpoint, you know the party that is actually good and first at bringing this to the to to the to reform will actually be able to build their party with yeah, a lot of these I think you're right. Americans. That's and right. That's why I don't. I, this is a very short-sighted sort of yeah. going back to the point about litmus test. It's a litmus test, and it's short-sighted. Yeah, I mean, this idea, it's its weird. I mean, we're all immigrants, or at least a second generation for the most part. I mean, and so the idea of, that somehow you hate immigrants or you don't want any immigrants, like no one, nobody is saying that, but no. that, that's where the conversation right. goes. But let, let's switch gears and talk a little bit about Nancy Pelosi for a second. Uh, she was fairly confident she would get the position. It looks like she, she did. did quite resoundingly. Uh, is Are there forces sort of amassing against her? They're going to split the party apart? Or is this going to be a new house that's going to be able to get work done? There are still forces out there trying to challenge her leadership. But to quote one of my favorite shows, The Wire, if you're going to come for the king, you know, if, you, if you're going to come for the king, you best not miss. <laughs> and so you've got to. So I think one of the, the one of the the important takeaways from what we've seen in the last day or so is that she has remained this very powerful uh, leader. Who I and I understand a few years ago. I mean, look up until this year, it was popular to run against her um, over almost a thousand losses in the in in legislative seats for Democrats during the Obama uh, administration. Um, it looked like, uh, particularly after 2016, we were so hobbled, we wouldn't be able to get back up. It was very popular to run against her. But the truth is, after the midterm elections in November, uh, the, earlier this November, I think there you lose a lot of the rationale to kick her out. The ability to sort of reclaim or to claim Reagan country in California, the the, the flip seats that we had here in New York and elsewhere that we weren't even expecting to get. If she didn't have that kind of night, then I could see that perhaps there would be a much stronger argument to replace her. But given what happened, I don't see that there's that that argument exists. Not only does that argument not exist, but I'm wondering why Chuck Schumer seems to be unscathed yeah. here. Uh, there's yeah. not a glove laid on him while, Madness. you know, the Senate overwhelmingly went to the GOP and Pelosi is like weirdly being roasted after, you know, a 39 plus seat landslide in the House. Like, why is yeah. she getting this flack and not him? Well, I've talked about this as well, and I I, I think there's there's there's, age, there's ageism, there's sexism in, in, embedded in all of that, um, because you're right. I think you know, given given the sort of difference of outcomes, no one's having that conversation about Chuck, and and she was she has been, as you as I'm sure you know, she has been a target for so very long. And what's amazing about her is she said she would say, hey, if you need to run against me, 
Go and do it. Right. You know, yeah. absolutely. But you best not miss. Don't. But you best not miss. Yeah. And knowing that when you when you come into this chamber, I got something for you. Uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. We're going to handle it differently. So and and I would also and I would I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I'm, I'm reminded when we're talking to Basil Michael Basil, do you have, do you have a uh, Basil? Do you have a website you'd like to refer people to? It's uh it's pretty simple. BasilSmichael.com, my first and last name, and uh, Twitter. It's uh, at Basil Michael Jr. My question is, uh, what what is what when she gets down to business? What is this Congress going to look like? What are, are they going to do? Healthcare? Are they going to do infrastructure? Are we going to see something that helps American people? Finally. So uh, yeah, I think I think healthcare. I think we do healthcare, um, and I think that interestingly enough, and I guess one of the argument for her leadership is that the Affordable Care Act has become this really resilient piece of legislation. And, so and it's all due to her, to give her credit. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that would not have really gone is. through during Obama's reign if not for her. She secured those votes. That's absolutely right. And I think you, I think perhaps to make some inroads with Republicans in, in some bipartisan turn, you may see some fixes. So I think there's that. I also think uh, we will get some conversation around infrastructure. And this is important because we were talking about infrastructure very early in the Trump presidency. That's kind of fallen off the table. That is a bipartisan. uh, Those are bipartisan issues, policies that I think we can all say we are in desperate need of more infrastructure funding. And in truth, if we see the connection, and I've made this connection as well, um, the connection between climate change and infrastructure. So I think climate change is also going to be something that's on the table as well. If you have, I mean, President Trump, it just seems like a home run for me. If if you're President Trump, you are famous for building things. I mean, that is what you do. You cut deals and you build things. Infrastructure seems like a no-brainer. You can work together with the Democrats. You can build America's infrastructure. Who wouldn't want that? I don't know why he has not, made more of an effort to to try and tackle that or even broach the subject really i mean he seems so bogged down in russia investigations and and immigration yeah yeah i I wish i could answer that listen in new york you know sort of um i don't want to say growing up with him but having him as a yeah looming large new yorker (laughs) as a fellow new yorker and i talked to my colleagues and friends in the real estate industry he really wasn't one of them he wasn't really considered the kind of sort of real estate partner or, or uh, leader that I think he pretends to be. And I think that has a lot to do with it, that he really isn't as good a builder and as good a manager, um, and at least where, where construction is concerned, um, as a lot of people have, as he made himself out to be. And so, so the point is, I don't think he really knows as much about it <laughs> as he pretends. Um, but it is somebody, you know, sort of sitting in the office with him could say to him, look, this is an issue that you can really win here. There is widespread support. Mayors and governors really want this. Why don't you just go ahead and do it? I have no idea why that just sort of falls off the table like most other things have. I think that kind of thing is something that we've got. I'm going to predict that is something that they're going to get after in the new year. It just doesn't make any sense I, I that they would. That, yeah, yeah it, it just makes yeah. no sense. And, and particularly as Trump is moving towards re- his reelection uh, attempt, if indeed that's what he wants to do, he's going to have to do something like that to sort of 
shore up uh, his legacy because now it's it's quite unclear what has happened. And to your point, uh, Basil, about um, you know what his building knowledge actually truly is, uh, there was a story I saw yesterday that caught my attention. I was telling Lauren was a guy that was a uh, essentially a gaming analyst in uh, Atlantic City that was analyzing the Taj Mahal building and his running the Taj Mahal, and he predicted the collapse under the debt burden. And watch it happen, and just and they the interviewer said, "What do you think of him?" He said, "Well, he's not a good gambling manager." And the the guy then followed up with a question, "Were you going to vote for him?" Oh, absolutely. And I thought, what? <laughs> How, what? What did you see? What did you see that makes you want to vote for him if he doesn't know what he's doing? I, I don't know what that is, and I, I'd love to hear what that guy had to say. And the, the reporter, the story ended up there, unfortunately. But um, it's tough talk. It's tough talk and potential, and I think that's something that. Ultimately, you need to see results, but people respond to his tough talk. Um, and, you know, we, we, you know, a lot of folks sell for it. And, you know, GM is closing plants and laying off workers, and that's the result of tough talk. <laughs> no actual, no actual pr- production of good policy. Sadly. Yeah, I, I, I have hopes for some of this this tariff stuff yielding some sort of negotiation that yields something that's of some benefit for us. But I, I don't have yeah. high hopes that it's going to be massively successful. It just doesn't make sense that yeah. it would be. Um, all right. Well, is there anything else we should look forward to uh, for the Democratic Party other than a, a new year, a new house, a new government that hopefully will tackle some of these things that will help American people? Well, what I would say is that the the election of my friend Hakeem Jeffries uh, from the, from Brooklyn, Queens, to be the caucus leader is a sort of hat tip to the to the young, diverse members that are now in the chamber. And this, I think for the first time in a very, very long time, you have a lot of young members actually seeing a path to leadership positions. Doesn't mean that. Nancy Pelosi has to leave, but it means that through Hakeem and maybe a few others, they do see a path forward to leadership, and that goes a very, very, very long way. I hope they allow them to gain some experience and understanding of how their uh, positions work, because <laughs> I hear rhetoric coming <laughs> from the helps. I hear rhetoric coming from the uh, those who have elected and yet, yet ascended to office that I think, oh my God, please to shut up until you spend some time governing. Uh, right? Yeah. yeah you'll, you'll hear a change very soon. Yeah, that's what I figure. All right, Basil, I appreciate it. Again, your website? Uh, BasilSmichael.com and on Twitter, BasilSmichael Jr. S-M-I-K-L-E, correct? Yes, sir. All right, my friend. Thank you for calling. Thank I you so much, Basil. It. Thank you. Our number is 800-222-5222. Your thoughts on this issue? Is there – Yeah, I mean, there's reason to be hopeful, I, I think. No? I'm hopeful. I, I'm less – In what respect? That there can be that a mixed government will function. I, you know, I think that one of the reasons there was so much obstructionism it was because it was lopsided, and I feel like it's enough sort of mix now in the sort of sort of Republican and Democratic mix at least that they have to they have to get on to get on. The neither side is going to get anything I if just, they continue the obstructionist policies. And uh, and for God's sakes, how much are we going to tolerate as a people before something actually gets done by our government? No? I don't know. Your hope nauseates me, if I'm being honest. That is Lawrence Vaughn. I'm Dr. Drew. This is Midday Live on Talk Radio 790. <laughs> it's Midday Live. In a few moments, we'll be speaking with Horace Cooper, Senior Fellow at the National Center for Public Policy Research, Co-Chairman of Project 21 National Advisory Board, and Legal Commentator regarding a billionaire couple pushing extreme bail reform. 
Our number is 800-222-5222. Lauren is nauseated. I'm Dr. Drew. And <laughs> Sure Michael Singleton in the next hour, public and political consultant, contributor, host to Vox Media's Considerate on Facebook Watch. We're going to talk about San Francisco Giants and some controversy regarding one of the owners' uh, contribution to the Mississippi Senator rate, and we'll have race rather, and we'll have a Martin uh, co-author, of course, award-winning civil rights attorney, to talk about the migrant caravan, amongst other things. We've got questions for her. Our number is eight hundred two 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 five two two two. If you want to be part of the conversation, please do give us a call here. And um, I don't know, Lauren, is, I, I, I'm so tired of being pessimistic about our government that I just, I'm looking for reasons to be positive about it. That's all. Uh-huh. And I know it's nauseating and it may be a little bit. No, it's adorable. <laughs> it is. If it weren't so nauseating. But the, the problem with me taking a sort of optimistic outlook is I'm constantly, my expectation, yes, yeah. I'm constantly crushed in my expectations. The bar is so low for me. That uh, literally anything short of nuclear destruction is it? Mm. Is it? Wow, we survived another. Yeah, I'm sort another of financial in, I, quarter. I, I'm sort of in the same zone with you. Um, I, I'm. I'm. Uh, and that. I, and I, listen. And We're also stuff, exhausted. Just yes. every headline is like end of the world headlines, yes. and we've been having this for two years yes. now. It's. It's a lot. It's too much. It's, it's putting a lot of strain on all of us. Yeah, it's too much. And I, I was thinking, you know, I was starting to hear some sane things come out of the California legislature, and I thought, yes, anybody can be mm. sane now. It's possible that I really I don't care who is being sane and who is attempting to help the American people. Just please, just look around, think think of what you can do legislatively that could be helpful to us, and please do so. Don't don't think about your ideology. For God's sakes! But that's all they think about. I, I mean, I, I hate to keep repeating. About, that's why we're. That's why we're sick. That's but why we're, the way we Jeff are. Flake said it the best. The reason he can be so honest, the reason he can be so you know matter of fact and commonsensical in his decision making, is because he wasn't running again. And that's the only reason he said, "If I was running again, I would absolutely not be able to reach across the oh, aisle." And that and and then money out of politics. So ideology out of politics, money out of politics. I mean, no ideology of politics is probably as unrealistic as money out of politics, but but at least some element of pragmatism and some element of putting aside your you know your your reelection needs for the people you're supposed to represent it's it's really getting sad mm. and, and it's it, i've gone past disgusting to sad and if that's what you want your legacy to be uh mr mr misrepresentative good on you but i don't think it's i don't think anybody would naturally feel good about that 800-222-5222 is our phone number as i said Reva martin coming in the next hour and we're going to talk about this extreme bail reform with Horace Cooper. Uh, apparently, uh, as we've discussed before, bail may be a thing of the past. But for the moment, it's on hold because of a, a new uh, initiative on the ballot. 800-222-5222. It's Lawrence Vaughn, Dr. Drew. This is Midday Live. It is Midday Live. Lawrence Vaughn, Dr. Drew. Our friend Reva Martin will be in here, civil rights attorney, a little bit later. Sir Michael Singleton to talk about a dust-up regarding the Giants. And Horace Cooper joins us, senior fellow with the National Center for Public Policy Research, also co-chairman for the Project 21 National Advisory Board, and legal commentator. Horace, welcome. Hey, it's always a pleasure to come on the program. It's a pleasure to have you. So there is a billionaire couple pushing extreme bail reform. The bail thing, we've gone back and forth about this, Lauren. Have we reached a consensus about what we're thinking about this? It, it, I, I see. You mean whether or not we should have cash bail systems, right? Whether the point is valid that bail seems to be uh, 
disproportionately affecting people that uh, keep people in jail that can't afford to meet bail, essentially. Horace, what do you say? Well, the big problem with examining exactly that way is there is a very, very large industry of companies, small and medium-sized, and even corporate, that offer to put up the actual balance of whatever bill might be for small portions that are paid. They do this for profit. So the idea that people can't have bail because of their income status fails to uh, uh, acknowledge this particular situation. But my concern is the broader one, which is if people actually think that we could get away with the idea that people wouldn't have to put a bond up of any kind, which, by the way, is a nearly 400-year-old concept, uh, wouldn't have to put a bond up of any kind and would just be released on their what's called personal recognizance that they agree and promise that they're going to come. What we will see is a significant number of people simply not getting released. Prosecutors and judges will move to a default, which is no bail, no release. And the only people who actually will get a release are going to be people who can afford very expensive attorneys who are very, very impactful. Not your casual attorney, not your average attorney, but very, very highly influential and therefore expensive. And that will make our system far more likely to result in poor people, middle-class people, and even some rich people are behind bars, but elites are are out. Is that really the direction we'd want to go? Well, we're leaving a lot of it up to the judges to make the call, right? Because they're going to have to look at the, the person's past history, whether this is their first offense, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But Again, it's on this judge now. If this person commits a crime during this time that they've they've been let out until their trial starts, is that on the judge because there was really no, you know, no financial safeguard that would require them to come back to court? So it's always been the case that when Bell was being determined, a judge looked at the seriousness of the accusation and the background of the individual to make a determination as to what kind of financial uh, sanction would be worthwhile to allow you to have your freedom, but to ensure that you show up. What uh, this foundation, the Arnold Foundation, are doing is they have pretended that a little computer can take all the data in, uh, you hit a button, and, and suddenly it gives you a, this is the person's likelihood of showing up. And if the program says you're not going to show up, you don't get bail no matter what it is that you'd be willing to pay, no matter how uh, much of a sacrifice you'd be willing to make. And if, on the other hand, it shows that you can, uh, that you will show up, then you don't need bail, according to this formula, and you get to come in and go without making any kind of financial uh, commitment whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Both of these scenarios have had some serious problems in Texas, in New Jersey, and other places where they've been tried. Let, let's talk more about this. We're speaking with Horace Cooper, Senior Fellow at the National Center for Public Policy Research, also the co-chairman of the Project 21 National Advisory Board. 
Um, we're going to take a little break, but when we get back, I, I want to understand why there is so much energy heading this direction, if indeed it's going to create more trouble than it solves. And the other overlay that I'm worried about is the kinds of crimes that are remaining as crimes that are going to end up in jail or prison are so serious now because of Prop 47 and 57. Who is it we're sending out anyway? Yeah. So I, I'm very concerned about this. So, Horace, we'll get back with those issues, all right? Very good. Horace Cooper, Lawrence Vaughn, Dr. Drew, it's Midday Live. It is Midday Live, Lawrence Vaughn, Dr. Drew. We're speaking with Horace Cooper, a senior fellow at the National Center for Public Policy Research, also the co-chairman of the Project 21 National Advisory Board. Horace, before we go on to uh, our discussion here, we want to refer people to a website? Yeah, check us out at www.nationalcenter.org, or you can follow us on Twitter at Project 21. All right, so before the break, we were talking about the fact that uh, very few crimes remain crimes in California anymore. That's right. And, and you know, the people that we're talking about taking bail away from, uh, are they even people that should be out of, out of prison or jail? So our system, our criminal justice system, is predicated on the idea that people are innocent until proven guilty. And no matter how heinous the charge is against you, that alone isn't a sufficient, normally considered a sufficient basis for you to have pretrial detention. But what we often do is sometimes the person's crime is of such a serious nature, there is a real fear that this person is going to commit again, offend again, even before the trial, and having nothing to do with whether they return for trial. And in those kinds of very serious cases, of course, we often don't want to have those people out. But, but what do you do about those intermediate cases? Mm. But, um, my, you know, with Prop 47 and Prop 57, are there many more intermediate cases left? That's my point. Oh, well, here's what I mean by an intermediate case. Um, a serious case where we would pretty be confident there would be no bill issued is a home invasion in which the perpetrator is accused of killing everyone in sight and then gets into a shootout with police, injuring several of them, and is ultimately captured only after a battle. That person would easily meet the test of, let's not let that person out. But what about a circumstance where a burglary is taking place and the homeowner comes home unexpectedly and is either killed or injured as a result of that. In a case like that, it's very serious. There should be real consequences if such a crime actually is found to have occurred. But the question is, should we give the benefit of the doubt to the person who is accused? And what? Our System. Wait a minute. Just you break into a home system. and you kill someone because they surprised you during a burglary no, 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 and we have to no, no, give them a benefit part. of it? Not that part. The doubt as to whether or not they did the thing that they're accused of. That's what I mean. Before, not about before, whether it was I see. Okay. Before, conviction. Okay. before conviction. Yes, before conviction. Yeah. And in a case like that, we ask ourselves, what is the background of this person? Have they had any arrest before? Were they using a firearm at the time? What are the things about this person that would make us think that they would be a danger to the community prior to a finding of guilt? And in that kind of case, what I'd, what I'd say to you is if we eliminate 
the idea of cash bill and go to some computer-generated program, only very, very wealthy elites are going to be able to get out pre-trial, and everyone else is going to likely be told, because in the circumstance that I just described, you and I agree. That's pretty serious. And, and this what, is going to be what? on the ballot in 2020, right? It is, but it's also being pushed. It's already the law in New Jersey. The legislature got pitched this idea that poor people are being taken advantage of, and they passed a measure that says, uh, put the data into the computer, whatever the computer says, that's what we're going to do. Wow. And we suddenly started seeing a large number of errors where the computer thought, yeah, this person's good, they'll be accountable, mm-hmm. they'll show up, and they've been reoffending, they've been injuring, and many are simply not showing up. So why aren't we looking at New Jersey as a model for well, why this is not I, a great I, I system? Guess well, I mentioned an example in South Carolina. A guy was given a personal recovery bond and he robbed or he stole the police car from the courthouse parking lot but, but I'm guessing he would later explain he was just looking for a way home I, I'm guessing we're going to see a lot of these stories as the rhetoric heats up coming into 2020 all right of course we got to sort of wrap it here I always appreciate your analysis and again the website Check us out at www.nationalcenter.org, or you can follow us at Project 21 on Twitter. We will look for you there, my friend. 800-222-5222. We'll take your calls after the break. It's Lawrence Vaughn, Dr. Drew. It's Midday Live. It's Sit and Sleep's Everything's on Sale Sale. You can't say that, Larry. But it's true. During Sit and Sleep's Everything's on Sale Sale, all mattresses, pillows, sheets, and motion bases are on sale. Everything. Oh, yeah? Not everything. The front door's not for sale. Yeah, but every mattress is. Save up to 50% off mattresses from Beautyrest, Sealy, Serta, King Coil, and Kingstown during Sit and Sleep's Everything's on Sale Sale. The carpeting isn't for sale, so it's not everything. Sorry, Irwin. Everything Sit and Sleep sells is on sale from the most comfortable sheets to bedroom furniture. Those light fixtures aren't for sale, and neither is Nate, our store manager. So, not everything's on sale, Larry. Plus, you can buy everything, and with your good credit, finance it for nothing. With 12 months interest-free financing, with your minimum monthly payment, plus free local delivery. Everything's getting dark, because you're killing me, Larry. To find your nearest store, go to sitandsleep.com. Sit and sleep will beat anyone's advertised price or your mattress is free! The holidays are so full of cheer, there's barely time to make dinner. So order the Chili's 3 for 10 deal to go. Take Chili's to go, baby, go, baby, go. You'll sing when you get an entree, starter, and Coke for just 10 bucks. 3 for 10 bucks, baby, bucks, baby, bucks. Order Chili's for the whole family. Mom, dad, and kids, baby, kids, baby, kids. And relax with Chili's at home. While you sit on your butt, baby, butt. Hey, not in front of the kids. 3 for 10 bucks, baby, bucks, baby, bucks. Mm-hmm. And take your chillies to go, baby, go, baby, go. Available at participating restaurants only. If you're 85 or younger, would you like peace of mind and comfort for your family? We're Final Expense Direct with an urgent message for you. The average funeral today costs over $8,000. Call now for free information about our senior plans. Answer a few simple questions and receive approval right on the phone. Call 800-319-8464. That's 800-319-8464. Again, 800-319-8464. Here's today's Stanley Pest Control Bug Bite. It's getting cooler and you're expecting house guests this weekend, but not the furry kind with a long tail. Rats and mice carry diseases. Don't monkey with bugs. Call Stanley Pest Control at 1-800-GOT-BUGS or visit stanleypest.com. 
Hey, SoCal, take your pick of Norm's famous fruit top tot cakes for just $4.99. Or get farm fresh eggs, bacon, sausage, hash browns, and any fruit top tot cakes for just $8.99. How's that for bigger and better? Norm's! Paid non-attorney spokesperson. Paid for by the Sentinel Group. This is an important message for anyone diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma cancer after being exposed to Roundup or other glyphosate-based weed killers. A California jury recently found Monsanto's weed killer caused a groundkeeper's non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and issued a verdict for $78 million. More evidence found that Monsanto may have known that Roundup and other weed killers were likely linked to cancer, lymphoma, and leukemia. Monsanto may have failed to adequately warn industrial workers in agriculture, farmers, landscapers, property managers, groundskeepers, and consumers who have had regular use for gardener weeds about the potential risk of cancer, lymphoma, and leukemia. If you or a loved one was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma or leukemia after being exposed to Roundup or other glyphosate-based weed killers, you may be entitled to significant compensation. Call the Sentinel Group now. Our network of experienced attorneys are ready to fight for you. Call 800-768-0606. 800-768-0606. That's 800-768-0606. Call now. Call me if you're interested. What's your phone number? 800-ABC-KABC. Ask for the phone number, not the phone letters. That's 800-222-5222. Thank you. It is Midday Live. Lawrence Vaughn, Dr. Drew, go out to our calls. Justin, go ahead there. Justin. Hey, how's it going? Good. So, um, this guy's arguing for... Or actually, I guess Jerry Brown's uh, decision and, and whatever government we have set up here in California. And um, I want people to be wary that people that are fighting against it often have a financial gain through the bail bond system. Um, have yeah, the people, we, we, we obviously, the bail bomb and industry is yeah, against this. We noticed that too. And uh, that's what we were trying to get. That's why we got Horace in here because we thought he was a dispassionate point of view. Well, there's a lot of issues that people are not talking about. So just a very brief history on the prison lawsuits over inadequate medical care and inadequate mental health care in the prison system, and the inmates won that those lawsuits. So the Supreme Court's decision was to put a cap on these prison systems. You know, 100,000 or so people can be in prison. So Governor Brown's first uh, step towards that was AB 109, which put all low-level felons in jail. So now the jails are overcrowded. Uh, You know, they have to ease overcrowding in jail Mm -hmm. or they're going to have another lawsuit. Yeah, but I'm not sure the easing overcrowding is by not putting criminals in in some sort of... They're uh, saying that that nonviolent offenders... Misdemeanor cases will be let out within 12 hours, and people are failing to bring this up. That's already happening. That's Prop 47 and 57. But the the issue is here, the the only issue at at hand here is, would this elimination of bail have the unintended consequence of giving people with money the advantage because somebody without money will just be stuck in jail without the possibility of bail, and somebody with money can have a fancy lawyer that will get them out? And that's the thing. Most of these guys can't afford bail. And so they're just sitting in there with low-level felonies. So you're saying there's no difference, really? Yeah, it's the same either way. Um, You know, I'm hoping that this would release more people 
I'm sure there would be some discrimination by some judges. Um, I'm hoping that it would, that would be a small percentage, you know, um, it could be a high percentage. I'm not saying it's not, but at the same time, if we're going to let out all nonviolent inmates and all misdemeanors, because there are guys that sit in there a lot longer than 12 hours. Yeah. yeah. In these cases. All right, Justin, we got to kind of um, move along here. I appreciate your comment and I got to go American, ahead. American staple is innocent until proven guilty. And it should be that way for nonviolent cases. All right. And fair enough. Fair enough, my Thanks, friend. Justin. Thank you for that comment. I appreciate it. Uh, Kevin, very quickly here. Go ahead. Hey, I just wanted to talk about the division between right and left. And I saw you tweet out kind of looking for a theory. And my theory on the whole thing is it's because this is the way we've been doing it forever. And we don't know another way. Uh, social media is the greatest invention since the printing press. We have more connectivity and we can communicate better than ever, but we just use it to fight each other. Uh, we don't need political parties anymore. Uh, I think that's, that's part of the big problem is that there is an R, there is a D attached to everyone's name. We're drawing lines in the sand before we can even have a sense of a conversation. Two, two, two things. Uh, I mean, the advent of the printing press brought the Catholic-Protestant wars that went on for 300 years, so that's what worries me, number one. Number two, uh, not having an RD, our founding fathers were gravely concerned about factions. Factions, factions, factions obsess them. And having two parties prevents factionalism. Kevin, i got to run. Thank you for that comment. Eight hundred.